Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. So today's guest has has the kind of biography that makes me wonder how a person in her early 30s has managed to shoehorn everything in. She was born in Zimbabwe, finished school in the UK, spent time in Saudi Arabia, and then parted away her 20s in Australia before, in her own words, after six six years and one life-affirming divorce in Sydney, she returned home to London. She is an award-winning copywriter, a job which I truly have no idea what they do, and a hugely talented author of The Shelf, which was described as utter perfection by Marion Keys. So I'd like very much today to welcome Helly Acton to the podcast. Hi, Helly. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's so good to have you here. Um, firstly, let's just go back to everything I've said in the introduction, because there's a, there's a lot to revisit there. It sounds like you really have uh, lived a very full life of cross continents. I have. I mean, it's been a few years. <laughs> there has been a bit crammed in. Um, I, I, uh, when I was younger, my my father travelled with work, and so that's why um, we spent so many so many years in different countries. But I was born in Zimbabwe. Um, my parents were from there as well. Um, and then I uh, spent time in the UK. I spent time in Saudi Arabia, where my dad uh, was working for a while. Um, and then uh, in my twenties, I decided to leave London and leave that rat race and head to. Sydney um, and uh, that's where a lot of uh, things happened that have inspired the shelf. (laughs) Were there any big highlights there? I mean you talked about Sydney being a place where a lot happened but were there any sort of places that inspired you in their beauty, the kind of places that you were able to visit from there? Was there anything that really stood out? I think well, Australia is the most beautiful country anyway, So, and just the, the lifestyle there was really wonderful. So it's got a really good uh, work-life balance and being surrounded by hundreds of beaches, any of which would be really inspiring um, to any writer or copywriter as I was then. Um, I had a three-month travel through a- trip through Asia on the way to Australia. That was, um, that was a big highlight of some of those journeys I've taken through Africa and India um, and Sri Lanka and Thailand. Um, but uh, no, life in Australia was good and it was beautiful, but it was time to come home after six years to my family. Going back to that, you talking about coming home to be with your family. When I read on your website that you returned to London, you were in a period then when you were dating and it um, transpired that your mum was helping you out with your Tinder dates and swiping right um, to see whether she could make a good choice for you. What was that like, going on dates that your mum had decided oh, that upon? Was funny. That was actually in Australia on, on one of her holidays to visit me. Um, that was hilarious. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'd gone on a few terrible dates um, that didn't go anywhere, and I certainly didn't want them to with some very strange guys. Um, and then I just decided, well, I'm obviously not being a particularly good judge of character at the moment, given, <laughs> given my past relationship history. So I was going to put it into her hands and see if she'd fare any better. And she didn't. <laughs> just proved mums aren't... <laughs> she didn't do any better. <laughs> mums are usually right. She was definitely not right in this situation. But it was really funny to watch, watch her interact with this. And also, I, said, I think it was really cool to give her an insight into what 
what it was like to date now because I mean she had met my dad when she was 18 at university you know this was all completely alien so it was really good fun she loved a man in a hat uh she she didn't uh, get the memo about swiping some uh shirtless <laughs> guys or guys posing with tigers and I had to teach her that lesson quite quickly and then she got into a heated argument with someone on the direct messenger part of Tinder and I had to take my phone away um, <laughs> um yeah that was that was good fun unfortunately she didn't find anyone for me <laughs> but that was okay I wasn't really looking hard anyway well that probably leads us to talking on to talking about Jamie from the shelf because um Jamie is pretty shameless as a character is he not uh he is pretty shameless I actually really enjoyed writing him because um yeah every sentence that came out of his mouth made my skin crawl um, and he really is a bit of a Frankenstein of different um, guys I've gone out with or, or dated, but also guys who dated my friends. Um, so I sort of gathered all of that intel and made made him into this really monstrous character. And he was just brilliant. I, I loved him because you could, I think everybody when they read The Shelf will read Jamie's parts and be able to find something in their own history that reminiscent of what he says to Amy. I hope so. And if not Jamie in, in one of the other exes on, on the on the show. I always say on the show, I mean in the book. I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about it because we've gone right into talking about characters. But tell me a little bit about what The Shelf is about. Sure. So The Shelf is uh, it's a tongue-in-cheek take on um, how we're all obsessed or, or a lot of us are obsessed with coupling up and settling down and finding the one um, and it's also um, a tongue-in-cheek take on reality television and our obsession with that, but also about how the two worlds come together. So um, part of my inspiration for it was uh, the fact that we have all of these reality television shows. They're all about finding love, which I think adds to the pressure that we feel to find the one. Um, and none of them were about losing love or, or about uh, embracing being single um, and, and the joys that that can bring. Um, so Amy thinks her boyfriend is whisking her away on a dream holiday. So cops a big question. They've been together for two years. It feels like the right timing. Um, but instead of whisking her away on a dream holiday, he instead dumps her on the set of a really brutal new reality show called The Shelf, where she is joined by five other women. Um, and together they have to, uh, they're pitted against each other in a series of quite sexist challenges that are designed to let them prove they're worthy of holding down a relationship to be crowned the show's keeper in the finale and to win a million pounds. But instead of doing that, and instead of competing against each other, the contestants club together and they decide to rewrite the show rules. Which, um, which is just fabulous, as you see it all uh, transpire. And it obviously starts in a very dark place for our, uh, our heroine, Amy, because she finds herself in this position which she was expecting one thing and ends up with entirely... A different outcome and I felt so sorry for her I mean the sense of betrayal that she felt there was just huge and I think we've all been in a position where we could sympathize with her and to do so in front of national in front of a national audience must have just been devastating um, and I read in your in your author's note at the end of the book uh, it was about being under constant surveillance. And I wondered if that's how you felt while you were in this position as either a newly divorced person or as somebody who was dating, where the world is constantly looking for you to find somebody and make a choice. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I think I did feel under surveillance. I think, you know, since I was 16, I've had this ridiculous fear of being single 
or feeling that if I didn't have a boyfriend that I wasn't as worthy um and I found what well, I felt at the time that having a partner validated me and I wasn't you know alone I wasn't enough my attitude towards that has changed now hugely but um when I got divorced I was 29 I'd only been married for six months um and I was embarrassed I was embarrassed to tell people <laughs> that that I'd done that and I did feel that um often you'd go to parties you're alone one of the first questions people would ask were, are you seeing anyone um and I found that frustrating so, so that what they were saying was that oh you're 29 and you're not seeing someone so what that sort of you, you haven't reached that stage of life yet is there something wrong with you I mean those these were they weren't really saying that these are my insecurities playing up I'm sure but it definitely did feel like that and one thing that I really liked about this book is that the women actually just really banded together and like you say they made up their own rules and I wondered if you have a group of friends that that was inspired by. Oh, I do yes but I mean when I was going through um, my uh, the breakup of my first marriage um, in Australia you know I, I thought I, I was seeking love and uh, peace and you know a uh, my support network through my friends so um yes absolutely uh they were a huge support to me uh during those difficult times as as the women on the shelf are hugely supportive to each other as they go through their journeys as well yes um and coming back from australia must have been must have been a huge step um, i live abroad as well and i i know sort of what it means to move to a new place and build your life and there are often times when i think how could I ever leave here now? It would be equally strange to return to the UK. Um, it must have been very hard to say goodbye to everybody that was friends uh, of yours over there. It was so difficult. I mean, I, I, I'd spent years feeling torn because I loved living in Australia. I loved the people there. But then I had my family back in London, who I, who I loved as well. Yes. Um, so it was, it was a really hard decision, but one that felt right at the time. Um, Really sadly, I still haven't gone back to Australia almost five years later, which breaks my heart. I've been planning a trip there this year, but then everything happened. Um, but I'm sure I'll get there soon. Well, are we lucky that we live in an age of technology where we can do Zoom calls and we can FaceTime and the social media? Absolutely. So I still feel really close to them and I still talk to them several times a week, even if it's just a comment or even if it's just a quick WhatsApp text. That's really nice. Yeah, I miss them greatly, but um, can you imagine if we still lived in the days of letters and taking weeks to get there? It'd be awful. Yeah, I mean, even here where I live, it's only a four-hour flight from the UK, but yeah. if 50, 60 years ago, it would have been another world, but Australia, I mean, it, it really did feel like another world. Oh, four, really? Three yeah. weeks, four weeks on a boat to get there? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Um, imagine, and uh, I suppose the flights now are 24 hours speeding up my, my parents lived in Australia before I was born um, and that was before any of this so they were reliant on letters to their family back in Zimbabwe as well so that must have been really tricky and did you did you live in the same place in Australia as your parents had lived no they were in Perth I was in Sydney um so okay yeah so I only lived in Sydney I had a, a few places there a couple with um partners and then I had a, a place in Paddington in Sydney on my own which I adored it was my own little house and that's where I really discovered how happy I was being single at the time and just embracing my independence, my freedom. It was really liberating. And that's uh, that's something that's really nice to witness with Amy in the book. And obviously, I don't want to give anything away, but um, Amy goes on 
on a very personal journey as well as the journey along with everybody else in the house when we when we listen to your reading we'll we'll hear Amy being very mean to herself and putting herself down um but while she's in the house she seems to undergo a complete transformation not only with how she visualizes her future but how she visualizes herself yes that's right I think um you know I I have this moral conundrum with the show The Shelf because although it's brutal and awful and uh, it would definitely be the show that you'd hate hate yourself for watching, the show does actually lead to some better places for these contestants and, this, and especially for Amy as well. And you see her transform in terms of her confidence and her self-belief, feeling empowered um, and realising that actually there's nothing to be afraid of when it comes to being single or relying on oneself. So with the help of the show therapist, with the help of the other contestants on the show, she really does completely change, I think, throughout the book for the better. She really does. She really does. And obviously, um, part of the, let's call it the show, is about working out what makes a keeper. And, and everyone is contesting each other to try to become the keeper, at least in theory. Uh, what do you think makes a keeper? And is it something that can even be measured? I, I don't think it really can be measured. And everything they do on the shelf is absolutely not how you prove that someone's a keeper. I would say, to put to the very surface level, um, I, I think whatever a keeper is depends on what you're looking for. You know, my husband, Chris, he's a keeper because he's kind and calm. He's funny and he's familiar and he's home. But there might be other people and for them, a keeper would be they love adventure. You know, they, they want to, yes. um, you know, they've got a dangerous streak so that excites or thrills you. So really a keeper is, depending on what you're looking for, it's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, if you know what I mean. Yes. And obviously part of the show it's all females that have been dumped. They're all women together, which is great because we see that that bond really form between them. But I wonder if that also speaks of a of a wider theory that women are still the ones that are expected to change more for men, and the expectation is on women to be the submissive ones. I mean, I think so, but that's just because that's what my experience has been. I can't speak for every woman or every relationship or or every man, I suppose. But my experience. Um, not with my current relationship, but in the past, has been that I've always got to be the one who fits into their lives rather than the other way around. Um, and I just want, I mean, I'm not an expert, I'm not a psychologist, um, but sometimes I've wondered if it's because men have this sort of natural born confidence that, that women don't have. And I think that's probably after centuries of being treated as if their voice is more worthy. Uh, so, yes. yeah kind of uh, aligns with my own beliefs I think we're raised in in very different ways and we're also the products of what we see in the generation before us because if we see a father going out to work all day every day and the mum is at home all day every day whether we like to or not it's what we learn as the norm and we all fit in with what we're taught either consciously or subconsciously yeah absolutely and I think I think a lot of progress has been made in recent years I think there have been lots of great movements and brave women you know it doesn't take overnight to get rid of a legacy and I think it's still going to be many years before it truly is equal yeah, it, that's very topical at the moment as well. Obviously, with the current situation, we're talking a lot about rights of of oppressed groups. And when you think about women's rights, which are perhaps not at the forefront of everybody's mind nowadays, but it's only really a hundred years ago that we really couldn't even have a vote. It, it's it's changed a lot in a very short space of time. But we're working on a, a foundation of years before that of what has gone before. 
Yes, I know it's shocking really, isn't it? But it does take a long time for attitudes to change. It's far quicker to change the law than an attitude and a mindset. Absolutely. Um, and that's that sort of um, brings me to my next question, which is about how people present themselves in the world. Because Amy is living through a world of social media and thinking about people's social media posts on the shelf because they're watching what everybody is commenting on. And I, I saw in your author's note that you actually used real comments that you've seen about reality TV and what people comment on the characters in the show. And we all have our own uh, social media profiles. And it's still very much a highlight reel. And do you think there is that pressure that Amy feels to conform and get married and settle down, do you think that's still how we are presenting ourselves to the world through a sort of set of, of confines? I think a lot of people do that, not everyone. In my experience, just looking at my feed, I feel that it's becoming more and more authentic. But I, you know, I don't have a problem with people putting whatever they want to up on social media, and I don't mind if they put a filter on it. You know, if that's what makes them happy and confident, that's what they want to do. They have the freedom to do it, absolutely. I think that changes when you become a public figure or some kind of influencer. Um, I think you've got to be mindful of how you're influencing people. Um, but yes. yes, the comments on on the wall and the shelf were definitely inspired by male online comments. So I spent a great deal of time and a horrible time researching what people would say at the bottom of articles about those reality television stars. And they were vile. I couldn't believe some of the words that would come out of people's mouths. And they don't seem to appreciate that these are real people who are going to be reading them. Um, and they just yeah. seem so unkind. Um, so, yeah. We're actually, we're actually recording this as well, um, sort of a couple of days after Kanye West has had a bit of a, a Twitter meltdown and the things I've heard over the last 24 hours not only about Kanye West but about his wife Kim Kardashian um, they're so hurtful and I think of these people I mean yes they have all the money that they could ever need and they have a very privileged position and they have access to great health care but they're still dealing with a difficult mental health crisis and people are so cruel. Absolutely it's like people don't I think people treat them as um, like characters on a show or a cast or actors, and they're, they're not. These are real people, and they've, you know, they, they used to be children. They're, they're reading really, they have emotions, and they, especially someone like Kanye West, who's, well, who I think is, I mean, not an expert, but I think is obviously very mentally unwell at the moment. Um, you yes. don't come out attacking someone in that situation or who's suffering. I think people have a real duty to be much kinder. Um, when they're out in the world and it just goes back to that old saying um, of if you don't have anything nice to say please don't say it at all exactly that exactly that and you said uh, in your author's note that you wrote the book as a pep talk to yourself what would you say to yourself um, 10 years ago or even later than that what would be your advice to yourself oh it's, my really clear advice to myself to my 16 year old self would be to stop chasing relationships um, to stop thinking that you need a boy to validate you or to have a boyfriend to be worthy um, and just uh, to do your own life, your independence, your freedom and to to focus on putting your, your needs first. That sounds like really good advice. That would have been good for my own 16-year-old self. <laughs> I know, like really easy to say, not sometimes not so easy to follow <laughs> <laughs> hindsight's always really clear yeah exactly and 
What about reality TV that you like? What kind of shows of the because you must have a love of reality TV, I think, to write a book about reality TV. <laughs> I, I do love reality TV. I'm not totally obsessed with it. Um, there are certain shows I like and watch, and certain shows I don't. Um, I do like Love Island, and funny enough, I never actually used to. I, I would read about it in the media and, and thought, oh, it sounds dreadful, and then I actually watched it and realised how great it was. And for me, it's just a, a fun escape. <laughs> For me, it's just a fun escape at the end of the day. Um, I do think it raises um, important issues and makes those issues like gaslighting more accessible because it's such a mass, mass appeal show. I do like that about it. I love watching the friendships develop, the sparks, the highs, the lows. Um, you know, I, I love how Love Island, you see men talking about their feelings and their emotions when they've been traditionally discouraged to do so. Um, so yeah, Love Island I've been enjoying. I absolutely hate this show, but I somehow have got myself trapped in it. It's Married at First Sight, which I have, I'm, I really object to. I haven't seen that one. Oh, well, yeah. It's, 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 do you know the premise? No, no. Uh, okay, so two, two psychologists, is it two or one, or a team of psychologists put two people together, but they only meet at the altar and they immediately get married? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, which is just madness. But then afterwards... That they, is a train wreck. I know. And then afterwards... They, and, and, you you know, you see the family sitting in the, in the church pews and you, you think, what on earth are they thinking? Um, <laughs> but then afterwards, they, they, you know, go into the relationship and they uncover, like, why they put them together and see if it could work. So that's what interests me, is that section I like. Um, so that's an interesting part. I just got into Below Deck, which two people have been talking about on Twitter. Didn't realise there were nine seasons, so feeling really worried about what's going to happen for the rest of my stomach because it's very addictive as well. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of things here because I've never heard of Below Deck either. Well, it's been going on for, I, I've, I've never heard of it until I saw, I saw it on Twitter and then, um, yeah, I, I looked it up on Prime and it's been going for ages. So there's that. But, you know, I do love other shows as well. It's just sometimes, you know, other shows I love are like Scandinavian, murdery, grisly thrillers. Sometimes you need a bit of light relief and that's what I find in reality TV. I've found this year as well, especially with the situation of being in lockdown, I'm normally a person that does love a good thriller or a very dark and gritty series. And I found this year, um, after going into lockdown, the only thing I really wanted to watch were things that were lighthearted, um, entertaining, and without a very, very dark storyline, because we were all living through a difficult period anyway. Oh, I completely agree. I've really struggled um I've struggled anyway with my reading and with my watching. I, I couldn't watch or read anything too intense. In fact, my reading really slowed down. I had a massive to be read. I have a massive to be read pile. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I used to be such a fan of like cold case files and unsolved murders. And I just can't, what, I just couldn't watch them um, because everything was just so gloomy. Um, so that's when I thought sort of um, solace and much lighter hearted shows. But even then I wasn't really concentrating. I found it really hard. Me too. I don't know whether you've been able to write very much during lockdown, but I found it very difficult to get anything down on paper. I felt so uncreative. I felt really, I had no motivation. It was hard. And I was trying to finish the first draft of my second book, The Couple. Um, and I was, you know, racing against a deadline as well. And I, I haven't, I haven't experienced like wading through mud with the words like I did then. It was such a strange yes. feeling. Yeah. Um, I was, I was on a 
I guess you could probably call it a fifth or a sixth draft of um, of a book that I was writing. And um, everything just felt like you said about wading through mud. I couldn't find the words. I couldn't find the inspiration to move the story forwards. It was very difficult. Yeah. And usually, so my magic hour is at about 5 a.m. So I'll write from 5 until 9 and that's when I have to start my day job. Uh, but I usually right. can, when I get up for some strange reason, my brain feels quite sharp. So I get, I get at my desk and I'm, you know, I can, I mean, it's probably rubbish what I'm putting on, on the page, but I can, I have energy and I whiz through words. I just, I found myself, I couldn't do it. I was getting up at half eight, which is unheard of for me because I'm a really early riser. Um, it was a really strange time, but I think the, well, touch wood, the worst of it is over. And this is a horrible second wave. <laughs> I, I hope so. I really hope that the worst is over and that we're moving into a, a an easier period. How has it been? Are you in Cyprus? In Cyprus. We had a very, very similar lockdown. I think it was perhaps a bit stricter here um, from a lockdown perspective. We couldn't leave the house without um, a permission slip sort of thing um, from the government. So we were restricted to one departure from the house a day. So they did a really good job of locking the country down. They closed the airports, they closed the ports. Um, So we were really, really tightly locked down for about three months. But we did almost eradicate it. There are a couple of cases, three cases maybe each day at the moment. But they've done a really good job of getting it under control. Oh, well, that's brilliant. I feel like it sounds like a better situation or response than here. But who knows? You know, it's unprecedented. No one knows, you know, well, they should have known, but they don't know what to do. Yeah, it's one of those situations where people were taking very quick and drastic decisions. But um, and all, all we're really doing now is, is living to see whether they were the right decisions or not. Well, yeah, We've exactly. recently opened up to flights again, but goodness knows whether it's the right thing. Yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm off to France next week to visit my parents. Um, and see them so I'm, I'm feeling quite nervous about it I've, you know I've been loading up on hand sanitizer and face masks and see how things are over there but like at some point we have to try to get back to normal well exactly um and I, I do think the fog is for sure lifting which is great um and sooner than actually I thought it might lift um I was thinking oh this might be last till the end of the year um but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. You mentioned just a moment ago about your next book, The Couple, that you've been writing. Are you able to to share any information about that with us or is it tightly under wraps? No, I can share some information, some bits I can't. So The Couple is set in a near future um, in a world um, that's post-relationships. Um, so everyone is single. No one is in a couple. And if you are in a couple, then it's considered taboo and strange um, that you'd need to have someone else in your life to rely on or or depend on. Um, so in this new world, uh, we have uh, two people who meet and they must decide whether their love for each other is worth the risk. It sounds absolutely brilliant. I love the premise. When you announced it the other week, I just thought it sounded great. Oh, good. I, really, I think my husband's beginning to get a bit worried about the topic. <laughs> are, are you not wanting to be in a relationship? But, you know, all of, all of you know, both of these books have been inspired from, like I said, that, that constant fear I've had of, in, in, in my younger years of being single um, and, uh, and alone. Uh, so, so that's definitely inspired both of these two books. But perhaps I'll start writing something a bit nicer about, about couples and relationships. <laughs> Third one. <laughs> um, and when when will it be out? 
uh, April or yeah, spring 2021. Okay, so we've already got your uh, your hardback out for the shelf, which was released on the 9th of July, if I'm not mistaken. Is there a paperback shortly to follow? When will that be released? The paperback for the shelf will also, I believe, I hope I'm not wrong, will also be out around spring 2021. Fabulous. So you'll be releasing a paperback for your for book the shelf and then hopefully also releasing close proximity, the couple. I hope so, yes. It, it it completely subverts what we think about as relationships now because we're always looking for relationships that, you know, people are very, whether we like it or not, we're very defined by our relationships, our marriages. But the idea yeah. that that's actually the negative is totally different to how we think now. I think it's yeah. so original. It's so original. Oh, brilliant. Well, I just hope it isn't a bit too d- depressing. It's not, it's not depressing. It's still, it's the very much the same tone as the shelf. I was trying to make it a little bit Black Mirror. Oh, I love Black Mirror. Yeah, but like quite uncomfortable, like really sort of incredible concept, you know. It's very high concept. But then um, I also, yeah, what I wanted to do was subvert that, oh God, I'm single at 30, to be, oh God, I'm in a couple at 30. Yeah, like what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Why am I with someone? This is rubbish. I I love the idea. It's going going to be brilliant. Thank you. Did you come up with a with a new uh, a new idea yet for your third book? No, I've got a couple of very woolly ideas floating around in my head that I really need to get down on paper. But um, it's been a busy couple of weeks, so I haven't had the time to just sort of sit down and focus. Um, which, but I've got to do it by the end of July. <laughs> So I better do that quite soon. I don't know about you either, but but when I'm when I'm sort of in the market for a new idea, it just seems everything I think of doesn't go anywhere, and I can spend hours and hours trying to plot something out, and it never works. And then, in the moment when I'm least expecting it, suddenly I'll get the idea that ties everything together. Yeah, and, uh, it's, and sometimes you can't force yourself. Yeah, you can't force yourself sometimes, can you? And I guess I can't remember where I thought of the couple. It might have been on a bus. That's where I tend to do most good thinking. So, Helly, if it's okay now, just before we end, I'm just going to ask if you could um, do a reading for us. No problem. It's just gone 10 p.m. when Amy tiptoes into the bedroom and crawls under her covers. Gemma, who went to bed an hour ago, stirs lightly. The last time Amy slept in a bed this narrow was when she was ten. She thinks back to Jamie's California king bed, where she was this time last night, trying to fall asleep without making a sound. It's your huge nostrils, he would say. What? It's a compliment. Fern Cotton has a massive pair and she's a belter. Amy would pretend to find it funny, then stare at everyone else's nostrils the next day, wondering if hers were bigger than the average pair. He would continue to joke about it, along with her bingo wings, wobbly thighs and double chin. When she first developed her nostril complex, about three months into the relationship, Amy was genuinely worried that Jamie would dump her, because he couldn't bear the thought of being kept awake for the rest of his life. She had spent hundreds of pounds on every expensive gimmick available, including a mouthguard that made her look like Hannibal Lecter. They eventually settled on an app that played rain to drown out the sound of her breathing, of just being there in the room. She wishes she was at a mousse-bouche. In any normal breakup, she'd weep over a glass of wine and grapple with Sarah for her phone. 
Then she'd go home, gorge on pork dumplings, and watch Kardashians reruns while swiping Love Market to make herself feel momentarily better. That's how you get over breakups. You don't get over breakups on national TV, in the company of five strangers who you have nothing in common with apart from being dumped in public. Of course, the producers aren't holding her hostage. Amy could walk right now if she wanted and still get the participation fee, which would more than cover a trip to Thailand. But something at the back of her mind makes her want to stay. Maybe she doesn't really want to go back to her drink-dumpling reality TV binge routine. Perhaps she wants to do something completely different that breaks the endless cycle. Maybe she wants to prove to the world that she can do this. And let's face it, one million pounds is probably worth all this humiliation. Worries flood her mind. What the hell am I doing? Is this the worst decision I have ever made in my life? Am I going to die alone? Can Gemma hear me breathing? Helly, it was so nice to talk to you today. It was really good to have the opportunity to talk to you about The Shelf. I absolutely loved it. It's such an inspiring and uplifting book. Um, it's, it's such a relief with all of the stories that we hear about women pitting themselves against each other to have just this wonderful story about how they work together as a team and support each other. And I just want to say congratulations. I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. So, Heli, thanks very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm so excited uh, about The Shelf. And next spring, I will be sure to be shouting about it. Thanks Thank so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much, Michelle. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.